Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Join me up here. We are, uh, <clears throat> if, uh, if you've been around, you need no introduction to Mrs. Gillespie here, right? Um, and uh, if you are new, we are a, uh, we're a church, uh, we're a church body that really um, believes in the concept of family. Uh, we see that God has instituted family. Uh, we are a church that believes in, uh, in headship. Uh, that's, there, there are elders that, that teach, and that's the primary diet in, in the church, so to speak, from week to week. But we are also a, a, a family that believes that everyone has the ability to contribute. And uh, Alex is somebody that we trust and is someone that has been just such a, a blessing to our community in so many ways. And so um, I'd like to pray over her as she brings the word for us this morning. Okay, Father, thank you for this woman. Thank you for this daughter, your daughter that you love. I pray, Father, that you would bless her as she speaks about you and pulls from your word, that you would help us to hear your word inside hers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. A couple things about us Gillespies. What we lack in timeliness, we make up in flair. And... um, when we get talking about something, we're long-winded, so I'm just going to jump right in. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are in Luke 7, um, verse 36, and we will finish up the chapter of 7. So here we go. Um, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, uh, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Lord, I just ask um, that this wouldn't be a mental exercise for us today. Ask that you would open our hearts um, to the movement of your spirit and speak to us. Amen. All right. Um, when I was a kid, when I was in fourth grade, my dad passed away, and my mom sent my little brother and I to go live in Brea. So we came from Palm Desert. Um, I don't know if Palm Desert is considered cool today, but when I lived there, it was not a cool place <laughs> at all. Um, but Brea, you know, Brea, very different socioeconomic class, um, very different schools and moms, very different moms than my mom. Um, I don't know if this is like kosher to say, but to my mom, dressing up was putting a bra on. Um, <laughs> and she would, she, her favorite outfit, okay, she had these shorts she would wear that were, would hit right here, right below her belly button, and then she'd take this white t-shirt, braless, tie it up so that you could see her belly button, so that she could show off her piercing and her tattoos, um, cigarette in hand, and sandals on her feet from the desert. So, um... <laughs> One day in fifth grade at my new school in Brea, I'm like typing really fast in the computer lab because in elementary school, it was super cool to be the fastest typer, like so cool. And I couldn't run, so I'm like, my fingers, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna carry me. Um, and I'm sitting there and I hear these kids in the computer lab whispering and they're like, who is that? And someone else is like, who's that lady? And I'm typing, I'm like, ah, and then I was like really interested to know who they were talking about, but I was also really interested in finishing, you know, this run on my typing game. Yeah. But I was like, I can't, I have to look up, I want to know who they're talking about. And to my shock, my mom was in the doorway. And every kid in that computer lab was staring at her, wondering, who is this woman who just walked out of the desert into our Brea classroom? And my heart sunk. And the first thought that went through my mind, I, w I mean, I'm a fifth grader. Who teaches us to be like this? Th those of you with kids know how terrible we can be. Um, and I'm like, who told her she could come pick me up from school? Who told her that? And I, it didn't matter that I was the fastest typer. I was the girl with the trashy mom. And that's what I, I, I was just so disappointed that she would even come. And I want to start by telling you that story because I'm going to, uh, the things I have to say are pretty convicting. And so I wanted to level the playing field here. Um, I'm the worst. So um, I'm terrible. I can be really terrible. And when I am saying these things, please know that this passage has just rocked me the last couple of weeks. So I want to talk about this, and I want to kind of go backwards a little bit into the historical context. So we've got Simon the Pharisee. And in the time uh, that Simon lives, 
it is customary to invite rabbis, known, well-known rabbis, to your house for dinner. Um, it is an honor and a privilege for them to even come to your house. And the point is to honor them and, and their deposits into the life of the community. And one of the aspects of this is it's almost like an open house, okay? So what it would look like is you have a table and on three sides you have these couches, which is cool. And I'm going to try to convince Patrick to let us take the chairs out of our table and put couches because I think that would be awesome. And you just recline and you eat. Um, and... So what would happen is people from the community would hear about this invitation and they'd, they're like, this is super cool. I'm going to go. I'm going to listen to this conversation. I'm going to learn from this rabbi. And again, it was an invitation of honor. That's, that's the point of it. Um, and what happens is we realize in verses 44 to 46, Simon did not intend to honor Christ. That wasn't the purpose. Okay, and here's how we know that. One, verse 44, he didn't provide Christ with any water to wash his feet. Okay, verse 45, he didn't offer a kiss of greeting. Verse 46, he didn't anoint Jesus' head with oil. I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever get an invite to our house, that's not going to happen either, okay? <laughs> We're not going to do any of those things. Um, but here's what we find out. Jesus is the one who points it out. He's like, dude, you didn't do these things. Okay? And what we realize through Simon's actions is he had no intention of honoring Christ. This is what I imagine Simon's like, okay, Jesus is in town, the other Pharisees are talking about him, and they've tried to trick him before. They said the thing about healing on the Sabbath, and he shot himself in the foot, right? He's like, yeah, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. What's it to you? And Simon is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick him. I'm going to get him to say some things and do some things. I'm going to collect evidence to justify my disdain. Because we're trying to nail this guy. We're trying to get him. And no pun intended there. Um, and they are going to, Simon is going to collect evidence to get Jesus. And to Simon's probably shock and delight, the best thing for him happens. This sinner, code word for prostitute, walks into this house and starts touching Jesus' feet, crying on them, taking her hair down, wiping them with her, with, uh, wiping his feet with her hair. And here's the deal. The woman had no business being there. And we see Jesus incriminate himself. He does three things that incriminate himself, okay? The first thing here is uh, this prostitute who is unclean according to the law touches Jesus and he doesn't flinch. He lets her do it, okay? And that makes him unclean. And Simon's like, strike one. If he was a religious leader, a true religious leader of the Jews, he would not do that. He wouldn't let that happen. Strike two. He doesn't say anything when she takes her hair down in public, all right? Did you know that in that time, if a woman takes her hair down in public, um, her husband could divorce her? Wow. It was seen as so, it's the same as bathing with men, okay? Uh, it was shocking. And not only does she take her hair down, she touches Jesus with her hair, and everyone around who knows the law is, is shocked. 
And Simon is like, strike two. Like, this is better than he could have expected. Like, he couldn't have even planned this. All right? Strike three. Christ publicly addresses this woman. At that time, husbands couldn't even publicly address their wives. It was against the law. And, and Christ looks at this prostitute and says, your sins are forgiven. Strike three. Simon got exactly what he was wanting. Okay? And I'm sure Simon was preparing his like gotcha moment, like there's the smoking gun, this is a big thing. And what we, as, I hope what we realize here, okay, is that Simon wanted a savior who lived up to his cultural standards. He didn't want Jesus. The Jesus, the Savior right in front of him, didn't meet his expectations. Simon was so blinded by self-righteousness, so blinded by self-righteousness, it caused him to reject a posture of humility. He didn't honor Christ. He didn't give Christ the honor he deserved. It also caused him to reject Christ. And here's the deal. Simon's posture of self-righteousness keeps him from experiencing the utter privilege of being offered a seat at the table with Christ. So this series is called Tables and Sinners. In this, Simon's the sinner Jesus is at the table with. Not this woman that the Gospels labels as a sinner. No, it's Simon. It's because he wanted a savior who looked and acted like him. A savior who checked all the boxes, a savior who followed all the laws, a savior who lived up to his standards. Simon's heart of self-righteousness, my heart of self-righteousness, convinces me that my cultural constructs and my expectations are of more value than kingdom ethics. I want to say that again. I told you it was going to be a little convicting. My posture of self-righteousness convinces me that my cultural constructs and expectations are more valuable than kingdom ethics. And we see that in this case. Let's take even one example. Christ allows this woman to touch him. Simon writes it down as evidence they're going to use in the trials so that they can kill Jesus because he's causing too many problems in their society. Jewish law, as I said, on uncleanliness would mean that Christ being touched by the prostitute is now unclean. Simon misses out on the fact that Christ and his holiness is so beyond human understandings that he cannot be marred by human brokenness. He misses that. And in the process, he misses an interaction with a present God. He takes, he removes himself from the equation because he is so self-righteous. And here's this for us, Christ's holiness, it can't be marred by our brokenness. And I want to ask, do we miss that? Because we get so caught up in our expectations of how people should behave. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just want to say, when we lean on our own understanding, when we rest on our own abilities, when we take pride in our own righteousness, when we hope in our own cultural constructs and biases, 
we miss an opportunity to revel in an incarnate God. And that's what Simon did here. He missed that. He rejected Christ. Simon's posture of self-righteousness also causes him to reject this woman's true identity. Okay? So if you're tracking, that's three things Simon's self-righteousness does. It causes him to reject humility. It causes him to reject the incarnate God. It causes him to reject this woman's true identity as a child of God. Now, he expected this woman, this lawbreaker, to experience shame and self-loathing. That's what he wanted. That's why he was so taken aback when she didn't, when she put herself in the middle of the narrative. He was so shocked because he wanted this woman to put herself next to his own standards of righteousness and realize that she's utterly flawed Irreparably, irreparably damaged and wholly unworthy of even being acknowledged. Okay. And I, and I want to, I just, it makes me think, could you imagine walking into a room like that, hearing the whispers? And then as I was, as I was doing this, it made me think of my mom. Can you imagine walking up to your fifth grader's classroom and hearing all the kids say, who's that lady? What's she doing here? And for your own kid to not look you in the eyes? Could you imagine? You know what I would have done? I would have like, okay, <laughs> and just excused myself. It's how I, I we, uh, Diamond Dogs, we play soccer on the turf, yes, and Diamond Dogs here. Um, and we're bad. <laughs> There's no way to, there's no way to, like, even gently, we try hard. We have a lot of heart. We have a lot of heart. Thanks, Neil. He was on the stands last, he was on the sidelines last time. He's like, go, come on, go. As we're, we didn't lose as poorly as we've done in the past. I'd like to tell you, this is unheard of in soccer, but one time our score was, um, 4 to 21. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Jack, you still want to play with us, Nate? Come on. I'm selling it. I am. Um, and I just was so mad last week because that was, we were like, we were talking for weeks like, that's the game we could potentially win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the game we could that's potentially win. This is the one. This is the one. And we lost. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Do you know how embarrassing it is? to walk out to that field like every week you can look at all the team's standings on an app <laughs> do you know how tragic this is and I I would not do what this woman does I wouldn't do what my mom did my mom had no shame and you know that used to embarrass me and now I'm like she was on to something um, this woman I wouldn't do it she chose have no shame. She chose to lean into her identity as a forgiven daughter of the Lord. She chose to walk into a room she had no business being in according to her cultural standards. And she chose to plant herself in the center because worshiping God was more important than disappointing the people around her. Worshiping God because she knew 
that she was forgiven. Here's the core problem with self-righteousness, guys. Self-righteousness lies to us. The first thing it lies to us about, it tells us that our sinfulness is not deadly. That's what it tells us. Because listen, the self-righteous lawmaker, Simon, and the self-loathing lawbreaker, sometimes I fit in both categories, um, they're both sinners. And the self-righteous lawmaker chooses to ignore their own sin so they can focus on the sin of the lawbreaker. And in that process, we are lied to, tricked into thinking that our sin is not deadly for us or for others. You know what my mom's favorite thing to say to me was, I understand that you don't love me as much as your aunt. I still love you, though. My self-righteousness as a fifth grader was deadly. For myself, for my mom, our self-righteousness lies to us. When we're faced with the radical forgiveness of Christ, a self-righteous lawmaker will respond with, but what about her? But what about them? But what about that person? Our self-righteousness will have us respond with, but what about the Democrats? But what about the Republicans, even them? But what about those anti-vaxxers, even them? The people who don't wear masks? What about the people who got vaccinated, signed up to get vaccinated first? Even they are forgiven? What about those people who want to defund the police? What about my neighbor who smokes pot and really the smell annoys me? What about him? <laughs> this is my thing. Pat knows it. I have a really big, whoa, I have a really big, really big problem. Um, like, big. Um, I have a really big problem with people who say, I could care less. <laughs> like, that means you care, okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right. So anyone who responded to that, we're probably self-righteous. Um, cool, cool. I'm like, I used to just make fun of my aunt because she said, well, why come? And I'm like, that's not a word. I am so self-righteous. And I, even people like that, even those people, it's a good test to see if you're self-righteous. Who are your whatabouts about? Are they always about other people? You're probably a little self-righteous. Okay? Um, here's what Tim Keller says about those of us who experience self-righteousness. Another test, are you human? You probably experience self-righteousness. Tim Keller says, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sin, but Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. We must learn how to repent of the sin under all our other sins and under all our righteousness. The sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. Now if I can go back to fifth grade with my mom, here's the deal. I felt so insecure about being in a new school. This school in particular felt so insecure. I felt so insecure about no longer being in my parents' house 
being in this new environment, and I just wanted a sense of security. And so what I did is I rejected the things of my past, including my mom, and I tried to figure out what the rules were and how can I live up to them and never make a mistake. My mom walking into that classroom was a mistake. In, in, that, in that, you know, mindset, it was a mistake. And what I'm realizing is even as a fifth grader, I was seeking to be my own savior and Lord. That's not it. Self-righteousness lies to us about who Christ is, tells us that he's not enough. Like Nick said last week, talking about expectations, Christ doesn't meet our expectations. He didn't meet Simon's expectations, and if you're self-righteous like me, he doesn't meet your expectations. Something happens, and instead of saying, huh, I must not be thinking of this clearly, you think to yourself, well, the problem must be with Christ and his response. The problem must be with what Christ chose to do in that situation, not with me. Our self-righteousness convinces us that we need a better savior and that potentially we could do that job ourselves. It hinders our ability to stand in awe of a Christ who redeems even the most wicked, depraved, and broken of us because our self-righteousness convinces us that we are not those things, that we are not wicked, that we are not depraved that we are not broken. It also lies to us about who others are in view of Christ. It convinces us that sinfulness, like this woman's sinfulness, is cause for self-loathing, that that's the posture as a sinner she should be adopting. Do you have people like that in your life? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but... People who you're like, have they no shame? Seriously? They're, they're coming here. They're saying that to me. I had this situation at work. Um, I really was so, okay, but here's the deal. You can't talk about self-righteousness and then use other people as an example. Um, that just doesn't work okay. So you got to just pull from your own life. Um, at work a couple weeks ago, I got an email from a parent because I didn't approve her child's, I'm the ASB advisor, and I approve clubs. Um, I have so much power. Um, <laughs> I didn't approve her child's international cooking club because we had another cooking club and having 150 clubs is just way too many. So I got an email for this parent um, accused me of bias against her daughter. Um, she told me I needed to change professions. Um, she cc'd the principal to make sure that I wasn't going to retaliate against her daughter in any way because, you know, I'm so aggressive. Um, and there was like this undertone of her calling me a racist. And then... The next day, a staff member emailed me and cc'd some students and asked where my professional courtesy was. I had that same expression. I was shook. <laughs> I was like, me? Who does this guy think he is? 
How dare he say that to me? And then I was reading this passage, and then I was like, how many times have I let my passion convince me it was okay to say something mean to somebody? How many times have I talked about a coworker behind their backs to another coworker? At least this guy did it to my face. How many times have I been in this same position? But no, I wanted him. I was like daring him to walk by my classroom so I could watch him put his head down. I wanted him to loathe himself for what he said to me. I did. We think people should feel self-loathing when they break the laws that we hold so dear to us. And also, guys, I just want to take a moment. If you're, I mean, self-loathing and self-righteousness, they're two sides to the same coin. I think I feel a lot of self, even last night, I was sitting there and this memory that I hate popped into my head. And I just like shrunk into myself while I was doing yoga. <laughs> and I was like, I'm the worst. I'm terrible. I can't preach tomorrow. I think they're two sides to the same coin. And because it's the same lie. Christ isn't sufficient. And I experience a lot of self-loathing too. Because I believe the same lie that spurs on my self-righteousness. Christ isn't good enough. And you just got to say it, historically, the church's self-righteousness has required a lot of people to assume a posture of self-loathing. We've forced that on a lot of people. Yeah. Some of you experience that today, that, that self-loathing, that shame. And I want to apologize because that's my self-righteousness too that did that to you. It's my self-righteousness that does that to me. It's this great lie of the enemy that Christ isn't enough. Self-loathing is a chain that keeps people from walking into the freedom of Christ. And self-righteousness puts that chain on people. Sometimes self-righteousness puts that chain on ourselves. It's this vicious cycle. Thankfully, this sinner, this woman, shows us a third posture, a posture of worship. I want to look at this woman's actions again. Um, the assumption here is that she has previously heard the good news of Christ. This isn't the first encounter. I imagine her in the back of a crowd hearing him say, your sins are forgiven, and her saying, he's talking to me, even me, my sins are forgiven. And then she's in town and she hears, Christ is going to be at Simon's house. She goes home, she grabs the most expensive thing she owns, she books it to Simon's house. And she's sitting there just wanting to get the chance to anoint his head with this perfume to honor him for what he's done, for the forgiveness he has offered her. And then she watches him be dishonored in front of all these religious leaders, and she can't take it. 
She pushes her way into the center of that room. She breaks every single law imaginable because she's not thinking about the laws anymore. She's thinking about the person of Christ. And she is compelled to respond. And what we see in this woman's actions is a posture of worship, a posture that is self-aware, Christ-focused, and love-driven. Okay? And listen, this woman, bless you, uh, this woman is self-aware, but she's not self-conscious. Don't, don't be tricked into the lie that if you want to be aware of your sin, you have to also be ashamed of it. Okay? This is the tension of salvation. We're face to face with our brokenness and we're recognizing that God is so powerful, our brokenness doesn't stand a chance. And this is the posture this this woman has. She is self-aware. She understands the depths of her depravity, but she's unconcerned with the laws that would keep her from her Savior. And she is caught up in his incredible mercy. And it spurs her to act. The, the jar of um, perfume that she breaks open, two years of wages. She breaks it. She says, listen, that guy didn't give my Savior the honor he deserves. I'm going to sacrifice it all because he's worth it. You see a posture of worship that is Christ's focus. Her focus was on Jesus and Jesus alone, who she recognized as her only hope, and it led her to walk. I like to think it led her to walk head up into that room, saying, Simon, don't you dare mock my Lord. She was so consumed with what it says in Psalm 16, 8, 9, she, she personifies this so beautifully. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken by the laws of, of these people or their expectations. My heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. Because she has set the Lord continuously before her. She moved into that tension of salvation that we were talking about. A heart of worship delights in an incredibly holy God. It delights in the fact that he's holy. It's through his holiness that she even has a chance. She's in awe of his holiness. And she celebrates the fact that it's by his holiness that she is free. Her accurate assessment of her brokenness, paired with her understanding of the depths of Christ's love and forgiveness, led her to act in a way that was also love-driven. It drove her to worship at Christ's feet. Now, here's the deal. He says, I tell you, verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I don't want you to be confused here. It's not that she was forgiven because she loved Christ. It's an unconditional forgiveness. An unconditional forgiveness that spurred her into love 
for Christ. And this love for Christ had such a great depth to it. And here's what Dallas Willard says uh, will happen. Sean, that's for you. Um, When we recognize exactly what this woman recognized in Christ, when we recognize the loveliness of God, worship will become the constant undertone of our lives. It's the single most powerful force in completing and sustaining restoration of our whole being to God. Nothing can inform, guide, and sustain pervasive and radiant goodness in a person other than the true vision of God and the worship that spontaneously arises from it. So I'm married to Patrick, so I sit by him. Um, And... (laughs) A lot of people come up and say, you know, I love sitting by you, Patrick. They don't say it as much to me because I'm off tune a lot. But I love sitting by you, Patrick, <laughs> during worship. It's awesome. Um, and, and, you know, I don't say this, but this is what I feel in that moment. It's a little bit like, but not me. But mostly it's, <laughs> mostly it's just awe. Because uh, Patrick worships with his whole heart because God has redeemed his whole heart. And it spurs him to worship. And I get to sit next to him and it spurs me to worship because he has a true vision of God. And so Mercy Commons, how do we respond? Well, I know this is kind of difficult, um, because I'm saying you're self-righteous. <laughs> um, I want to ask you to take an inventory of your posture, though. If you could take a second and take an inventory today of your posture. Assess your whatabouts. As I mentioned, are they about other people? Mine are. If you were to tell me right now that God's forgiveness is for everyone, I would say, but what about those Christians who stopped going to church during the pandemic? I would say that. I'm mad at them. I think that that's wrong. I have all these reasons I can talk about that. I have so many whatabouts. It's kind of astounding. (laughs) Take an inventory. Ask yourself this question. Who do I reject because they don't live up to my standards or expectations? Who is it that I haven't invited over to dinner because they don't live up to my standards or expectations? Because I don't want them around my kids. They're not a good influence. I'm not saying throw out the rules. I'm just saying take an inventory of your posture. What ways do I let my self-righteousness control how I interact with Christ and others. If your whatabouts are self-focused, what about my past? What about that thing I did in junior high that I've never told anybody about? It's oddly specific. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then you might be assuming a posture of self-loathing which is equally as self-focused. And I ask you to look to Christ. He sees you in those whatabouts. He welcomes you. He knows you. 
He acknowledges you. He forgives you. The second thing I'm going to ask for you to do is come before the Lord in prayer. If you struggle with self-righteousness, we'd love to pray for a deeper understanding of the reality of the gospel, the fact that you can't save yourself, that you have no leg to stand on. If you struggle with self-loathing, we'd love to pray for a deeper understanding of the reality of the gospel, that your sins have been forgiven, all of them, even that junior high one. Coming for prayer can be uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Because to know Christ is to know that you and I contribute nothing to our salvation. And if we get caught up into believing that we do, we miss the astounding truth that we've been saved from so much filth. We miss that even in our goodness, we're still sinners who don't deserve a seat at the table. We don't deserve to be with a God like our God. We're not fit to be near him. And still he delights in having us as children. Sorry, band, I forgot to invite you up. <laughs> um, the last thing here that I'm going to ask you to do is lean into worship. Here's the deal, even when you're not feeling it. Worship is a great way to reorient yourself. It's a great way to speak to your heart and to your mind these truths of who our God is. It's a great way to remind us of his work on the cross and who we are when he sees us. So I'm going to ask again today, assess your posture, take an inventory, Come for prayer. Lean into worship. It's, it's going to be a heart of worship that convinces the world that our God's good, that he's worth it, that his kingdom ethics are more important than our laws and our expectations. Lord, I just ask today that you would help us um, Protect our hearts from any feelings of shame. Equip us with your spirit um, to have the wisdom to know who you are. Um, and Lord, just give us the humility to stand in awe of all that you've done for us. Jesus, thank you so much that uh, we stand in freedom. We stand in your finished work. Um, we don't stand in our past. We don't stand in the past of a year ago, 10 years ago, last week, <laughs> this week, this morning, five minutes ago. We stand in the present where we are forgiven and secure and yours and you give us all things to pursue you and you are committed to shaping us and teaching us, and helping us, and forming us more and more into your likeness, God. So we say, have at it. Here we are. Help us, God. Help us to walk into this week with you, and to, to, to respond to you as we follow in Jesus' name. And the church said,
Amen. Amen. Guys, it has been such a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, there's going to be some folks to my left, to your right. Uh, this, don't leave. If, if God's still doing some business with you, that's great. Don't leave without getting prayer. We all need prayer a lot. I do, myself. Um, and uh, just don't, don't leave without getting some prayer. For the rest of us, we're going to be out, back, and around uh, for coffee, donuts, and for conversation. We'd love to give you a hug and say hi. Go be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.